Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heaven Bound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. This is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come over the next few days at Charlestown Road. I am typically joined, of course, by Roger Schaus. Roger is not able to join us today, but I I have another sidekick with me in the studio. Zach Dinsford is a, a young man, a very encouraging brother in Christ who grew up here right at Charlestown. Charlestown Road, and Zach spoke for us this past Sunday evening. We are very, very blessed here at Charlestown Road with a number of young guys who especially over the course of the last couple of years. Our shepherds have really encouraged them to get involved. We've got a good, solid rotation of young guys who are able to step in and not just fill time, but deliver thoughtful and challenging sermons for us, oftentimes on Sunday evenings when I or Roger are out of town Zach, it is good to have you in the studio today. Appreciate it. Thank you for for the invite to to join you here. Sure. We appreciate you stepping up this past Sunday evening. We'll get into your sermon here in just a few moments, but you have done this now several times. Do you have any idea off the top of your head how many sermons you've delivered here at Charlestown Road? Uh, It's not a ton, but I think you can use two hands. Okay. Somewhere within that five to ten range. Very good. And you you are always an encouragement to me and I know to, to many, many others. What do you find most enjoyable, either about preparing a sermon or actually delivering a sermon? What What is the, the most enjoyable thing about that to you? Well, to me, I think the most uh, exciting, the most interesting, the most time that, that I spend thinking about it is in, in that preparation stage. Okay. I think just being able to, to, to highlight or find something that I've come across in my study, my reading, uh, been able to to pull that out, something that has maybe helped me and sort of flesh that out a little bit more and, and, and allow that that nugget of, of whatever it is that, that I've come across that, that has stuck with me, that has been on my head, uh, been in my heart, uh, and be able to share that and, and grow that idea or that, that yeah. reading and, and just help others see that. I think that that preparation phase is, is more of the, the, the interesting, fascinating part to me about, Very about good. doing this. You, you seem like me a lot of times to base whatever it is that you're going to preach on what you have been recently studying. I appreciate that. I'm I'm very much the same sort of way. There are times, of course, where there is some sort of a, a special focal point that needs to happen, and you have to do some uh, preparatory research ahead of time, maybe in addition to your own personal studies. But I've noticed with you, uh, and, and I'm very, very similar, what you preach to us a lot of times flows out of either maybe recent daily Bible readings that we're all participating with together here or or, or your own personal study. I think we're kindred spirits uh, along those lines. So I, I definitely resonate with the, the, the prep side, being able to dig a little deeper in a sermon, being a good opportunity to do that. Let, let's turn the coin on the other side. What about the most challenging part for you of either the the preparing or the preaching of the sermon. No, definitely. I think it's the uh, 
on the flip side of that coin is a good way to put it because while that, that preparation and something that is, is impactful to me and something that I've been able to, to find that I find useful uh, in my life that I preach about, I'm, I'm younger, a younger audience, so sometimes the more challenging thing is finding those, those ideas, those themes, those, those reoccurring points in the, the Bible to, to preach on that, that make sense and are applicable for, for people of all ages or, or different ages, people who come in with different perspectives of, yeah. of what they're going through, with the things that, that they're facing. In, in their lives, so that would be more a more challenging point from my youthful, limited perspective. I don't have the the, the years behind me to, to gain more knowledge, to gain more experience. I've got a uh, I'm, I'm kind of catching up in some ways. Yeah, well, you're doing a good job for sure of catching up. I'm I'm not even sure I would describe it as catching up, but I I appreciate that as well because. That shows an awareness of the audience, right? It is um, one thing to be willing to stand up and and fill a gap when uh, somebody is out of town or, or there's some pressing need, but we're not just filling time, checking off a box or anything like that, but we're thinking about who's going to hear this, who's going to walk through this with me. And I think that's a sign of great maturity. I have have been in places before. In fact, I've been invited to go places before where, uh, okay, for the next few days, we're going to uh, we would love for you to come and and spend some time talking to us about the home and family and okay so i i get excited about that craft a couple of lessons make sure everything's ready and maybe one of them i i have in mind okay i'm going to talk to let's say teenagers and young adults and um I, i'm ready to go and i get there only to discover there aren't really any teenagers or or very many young adults at all. And you, you do what you can, but you want to try and customize the message to the people who are actually going to hear that. And so even though it's a challenge for you, as you would describe it, I... I appreciate the heart behind that, and I think you're you're on the right track. You mentioned this past Sunday evening that you've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament book of Esther here recently. That's actually where you drew your sermon from on Sunday night, and we'll get to the sermon here in just a moment, but why Esther? What I mean, there are 66 books in the Bible. What has drawn you to that book here in, I think you described it as recent years. Uh, what do you find interesting about that book of the Bible? Yeah, I think in, in many ways that, that book of Esther, that one of 66, is is treated in, in many ways as like an untapped resource. There's a, a lot to there to, to take in, a lot different directions you can go reading it. There's a lot of, of different themes of different of characters you can focus in on. You can focus in on the, the who's and identify with the situations that, that Esther goes through, that, that Mordecai finds himself in, uh, that, that the, the Jewish people in the book of Esther, that the, the, the struggle and the, the difficult times that, that they find themselves in. And so there's a lot of ways that you can identify with, with some of those characters. And I know part of the reason that, that I have just kept going back to it over the last two, three, four years is because there's just so much there, so many different strands, so many different ways that, that you can take it, uh, and, and so many different ways that you can, 
sift through it and try and find something that can help you for, for whatever you are going through. And I know that's that's been the, the case for me. And I don't know exactly why I've kept going back time and, and time again to it, but every time I think I've, I've moved on from it, I find myself back there in the, the middle chapters of the book of Esther. That is tremendous. You know, it is one of those books of the Bible. It seems like to me that unless... You know, there's a, a random sermon here or there, or your, your your daily Bible reading schedule just briefly takes you through there. It's one of those books of the Bible you don't hear referenced very much at all. In fact, I'm I'm guessing we hear some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament referenced more, or preachers, Bible class teachers inviting people to turn their Bibles back to other sections much more than Esther, but. Uh, there is a reason this story has withstood the test of time for thousands of years. Even though God's name is not specifically mentioned in the book, you see his fingerprints all over the place. And so it's encouraging to me to hear a, a young man talk about uh, exploring those uh, maybe sometimes neglected parts of the Bible. I'm thankful that you drew our attention to it this past Sunday evening, and and you did by focusing in on one particular phrase that I, I found very interesting. I'll just tell you personally, I had never noticed in my readings through Esther how many different times we read at the King's Gate. I learned that on Sunday night, thanks to your study and preparation. And so can you walk us through just the basics? Of course, if you haven't had the opportunity to watch or to listen to Zach's sermon titled At the King's Gate, it's freely available at charlestownroad.org or in our sermon podcast feed. Zach, why don't you just hit the highlights? Walk us through what you were trying to accomplish with that sermon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in the, the middle chapters of the book of Esther is really where this phrase at the king's gate comes over time and time again. You can find it first in chapter 2, verse 19. And then our, our, our starting point where we were was, was 21, verse 21 of chapter 2 of the book of Esther. It says, in those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, and then there's a, a moment in his life and the, the story of Esther that, that pushes that point forward. Uh, there at the king's gate, or as I phrased it, in in proximity of the king. You know, you mentioned that God is not mentioned directly by name. The king in this story is is distant to all of the action that is taking place. But as you go through the the middle chapters there of the the book of Esther in chapter two, in chapter four, in chapter six, there are different opportunities that come up for for Mordecai, for Esther, for. Haman for the king himself that, that they have to make decision points. There are choices that, that they have to make. That all of the action that is is going on here is is taking place uh, with that where that one location uh, can continue to be repeated in the background there of of being at the king's gate. And you can read in chapter four uh, at the beginning there after Haman has gone on and and met with the king and he wants to destroy. The Jews in Susa, he's upset with, with Mordecai. He's been given the green light for, for how he is going to, to, to operate here. And Mordecai finds himself in a, in a state of, of depression almost. He's, he's crying, he's lamenting, he's mourning. And, and he finds himself in, in sackcloth and ash, ashes there 
at the king's gate in verse 2 of, of chapter 4. And it is because of his choice to, to go there that he is noticed by Esther. And Esther sees him and sends her eunuchs to, to have a discussion with him where we come across one of the probably more famous lines of this untapped book of, of resources there in Esther. For if you keep silent at a time such as this, relief and deliverance will rise from another place. Uh, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that thread has continued to be, be forward. There is that, that moment, that opportunity that, that Esther has in her life to, to what does she do with this information that, that she's been given. And so she uh, prepares, she goes, and, and she understands the not just the proximity of the king, as, as Mordecai does, as he is at the king's gate, but she goes to and understands the significance of approaching the king and being in the presence of the king there in chapters 5 and, and 6. And so then chapter 6 comes, and that's the... You described it as the turning point chapter for us on Sunday night. Yeah, absolutely. It's where the, the action sort of, sort of flips on its head. And so you have a Mordecai who's in a state of, of mourning that... That those first three words of chapter six are, are on that night, and and on that night when when Mordecai mourns, when when Haman plots, is when things uh, are put into action, and so you can continue reading in, in chapter six of how this story has has turned on its head, and this individual who is sitting at the king's gate or in the the proximity of the king, who was in sackcloth and ashes a mere chapter ago now is paraded through the streets, and he is wearing the king's robes. He's wearing the king's crown. He is riding the, the king's horse, being being celebrated. And on a personal level, we would understand it if uh, verse 12 of chapter 6 was something along the lines of he was finally excited to, to be celebrated. He yeah. was finally excited to be recognized. But what we are told in verse 12 of chapter 6, after he has been, been celebrated, he has been recognized, is that Mordecai returned to the king's gate. And so we can can pull that thread, and it's repeated a few more times within those chapters that we didn't didn't look at here. But uh, when you can can look through those middle chapters of the Book of Esther, important notes to the threads to pull to to understand the Book of Esther, but threads that that also point forward. Number one is that that opportunities happen, moments happen there at the king's gate or or in the proximity of the king. There are different decision points, different choices that are made by, by the characters when, when they have chosen to, to, to go to the king's gate. That is the, the backdrop to, the, to this entire story. Moments happen that, that push this story forward. Sometimes those moments are, are what they had desired. Other times they no doubt were, were maybe not what they were expecting or anticipating. But, but opportunities happen for those who choose to go to the king's gate. Right. Having hearts that are ready to take advantage of those opportunities is one of the things that I I took away from that. I, I love, of course, Mordecai's statement to Esther. I love Esther's courage, but I also loved how you highlighted, okay, this particular location, opportunities happen here what sort of hearts are we going to bring to those opportunities, even in our own daily lives? You move from there to talk about how growth occurred at the King's Gate. Yep, absolutely. Just as, as opportunities happen there at the King's Gate, growth occurs uh, at the King's Gate. In an individual basis, at the life of Esther, you can, can read the Esther in, in chapters 2 and 3, and she is noticeably different than the es- Esther of chapter 4 and 5. And and, and on an individual basis, there is there is growth that has occurred in her life. There's courage that she has come into. There is 
is example that that she now is and, and can be and, and she has taken advantage of, of some of those opportunities some of those different moments uh, at, at her display at her disposal of, of what she can do her heart is is now in it and so on an individual level there's there's growth there but then also collectively there's growth for the Jews you can read in chapter 4 verse 3 about how the Jews also uh, are in all of the provinces were, were mourning much like Mordecai was they were lamenting and crying of their of their state but then you you read in chapter 8 uh, verse 16 that there was the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor and in every province and in every city wherever the king's command and edict had reached there was gladness and joy and so on a a, a level there for for them there's there's growth what was empty for them is is now full they are they're overwhelmed with with joy and, and excitement so collectively there is there's is growth that is occurring with with the king's gate or in the proximity of the king in this story in the background yeah so opportunities happen growth occurs and your last major point was people are saved at the king's gate absolutely people are saved and again that's on an individual basis where we first come across this this phrasing of at the king's gate in chapter 2 when mordecai is given uh, the information about this threat or comes across this information of the threat uh, of two of the king's guards who are guarding his threshold, who, who want to, to lay hands on the king there in, in chapter 2, verse, verse 21. And so Mordecai has to make a decision with this opportunity he has been given, this information at his, at his disposal. What does, what does he do with it? And so he acts upon that, and he saves the life of the king. But then these uh, bookends with it, really, in chapters 6, 7, and 8, of the Jews. They're the ones who are ultimately saved uh, because of the decisions, because of the opportunities that arise with the choices that are made uh, at the king's gate or yeah. in the proximity of the king. The king, no doubt, distanced, but there in the story. Yes. Well, and let me, I, I, I love you highlighting that idea of the king at a distance because my favorite little section of your sermon there at the end was how you contrasted being at the king's gate versus for us the opportunity to have a spot at the king's feet. When you made that distinction, I mean, everybody can understand and envision, all right, especially in the ancient world, walled cities, maybe walls within walls, the king way up high, maybe in the center of a city, and I can see from a distance where maybe his palace is, but there is a gate, there are walls between me and the king. Not even just kings. I, As you were painting that picture, I thought of in Luke, uh, his gospel, where Jesus tells this story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is described as having a gate, and it's outside the gate where Lazarus, this poor sick man, is laid, and there's no way that Lazarus can get to where that rich man was. But of course, as you wound this sermon down and talked directly to those in the audience and and those, of course, maybe who are, are listening afterwards, you talked about this powerful idea that, okay, Jesus is our king. 
And we're not at a distance away from him. We're not secluded from him. We have the opportunity as his disciples to be right there at his feet. Yeah, he gives us that, that open invitation of, of Matthew eleven twenty eight of of come to me. Don't just, just take my word for it. Don't know me from a distance. Don't accept what, what other people say about it. Come to the source. Come to me all who who labor and are are heavy laden those who are are facing difficult times those who are facing different challenges that that come up in their lives make the choice to to approach me to to come be in my not just proximity but be in my presence come sit with me learn from me and that open invitation is one that i think is is important for me to keep coming back to and 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 find out and maybe that's why i've returned to it time and time again but but no doubt helpful for for all disciples for all followers for all people who are are trying to know who this Jesus is the the king was distant in the story of Esther he is is there but he is distant and the the king of the new testament the king of your and my lives for for our listeners lives he is not distant he yeah. is is there even though sometimes it may seem that that he is not answering or he is not making sense of of how do all these puzzle pieces fit together we can can trust in him and he is giving us that that opportunity that that invitation to to trust in him that that he knows what he's doing and that that we can can trust him and that is when when we accept that trust when we know that that trust is coming with with those different opportunities those different day-to-day choices that that we make in our lives that's when we can 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 experience that growth and i think that's that's part of the level of of growing of of knowing that we can just you know let god be god and allow him yeah. to to work well and that that was one that my real last question in all of this you used that phrase at the very end let god be god and i had a a page full of notes but i wrote that at the very bottom and circled that uh, Zach, as as maybe as as hard as it is for you to imagine, there's no doubt in my mind that there is more than one little boy or little girl. Maybe they were here to to uh, hear the sermon in person, but uh, we know that there are parents, grandparents who listen to this podcast. Maybe on the way to dropping little kids off at school or something like that. And even though you feel like, well, I'm playing catch up and I'm awfully young. There are lots of younger people than you that look up to you and are inspired by you and your willingness uh, to get up and, and share this message from God's Word on Sunday night. So let me put you in the the passenger seat maybe of one of these cars on the way to school, and there's a, a little boy and a little girl in the back seat. If you were going to tell them what it means, let God be God, what what did you mean by that? Well, I think there's no better place to go than where we ended in the, the sermon on Sunday evening than in John chapter 10. I, I think the, the whole lesson as a whole could be said that it's a, a, a message for sheep, for us as sheep, for, for what do we do. You know, we as, as sheep are sometimes prone to, to wander, sometimes prone to think that, that we know what's best or go to, to the directions that, that, that we are, are interested in or we are focused in. But we have a, a good shepherd. We have a king who is there, not just distant from us, but who has invited us to, to be with him. And so 
part of knowing that that I should just let God be God and accepting that and, and growing from that is knowing that I'm the one who's not in charge. And sometimes I just need to to follow when the good shepherd tells me that 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 I should follow. And he knows the direction he is going. He knows our sheep as we can. He knows our names. He he identifies with us and, and he is with us. And and knowing and trusting in that opportunity uh, on a on a day to day basis of knowing that that I am not here to to lead my own life, but I am here to to follow and follow in His footsteps, follow in the the footsteps of the King or of the Good Shepherd is a, a one way to to answer that, one way to to push that story forward yeah. uh, to another day. Very very well said, and I appreciate you so much joining me. I appreciate you being willing time and again to step up. Uh, with a, a heart that is prepared and eager to share, you are an encouragement to many, many, many people. And so thank you for serving us uh, in the way that you have. Of course, we are looking forward to this evening, looking, learning more about this king that Zach has told us about even in this episode. Our next to last session in our Wednesday evening summer series is this evening in Christ alone is our overall theme for the summer and this evening's sermon, No Guilt in Life, No Fear in Death. Our brother Ryan Cummings from Louisville, Kentucky will be here to present that powerful sermon to us. We would love to see you at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. Lord willing, this Sunday, Roger will be back and will be rounding off his series of sermons on shepherding. If you've missed any of those, if you missed Zach's sermon from this past Sunday night. All of those resources and many more are available at charlestownroad.org. Zach, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to this week at Charlestown Road. We would love to see you tonight. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.